the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the second hour. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. News Talk 710 KNUS. Good to be with you. And of course, for my second time on YouTube, youtube.com slash 710 KNUS, you can see the live stream video, this newfangled technology we have going on, getting started here on 710 KNUS. Of course, I do host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 right here on this very station. And we love to talk on my program about issues of the day that include economic topics. And my goodness, when you have $1.7 trillion in a 4,100-page bill that they want to ram through Congress... At the very end of this year, at the very end of this current Congress, you can't not talk about something like this. Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, was pressed on dropping this 4,100-page bill at the tail end of the year. And here's what he said. How is it in a, a functional process to drop a 4,100-page bill? This morning, expect to vote on it tomorrow. Most of Congress hasn't had a chance to review. Look, the bill has been carefully worked on by the Appropriations Committee for a very, very long time. Uh, most of the provisions of the bill were well known weeks and weeks and weeks in advance. And uh, getting this bill done for the American people, which really matters, is the most important thing. Isn't it funny how the bills that really matter, that are so massive, end up with the tightest time windows for debate and discussion? It's funny how that is. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger, in for George Brockler, joined now by E.J. Antoni, Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Good morning, E.J. How are you? Jimmy, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Can't believe Christmas is a few days away. Merry Christmas to you, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, too. Granted, it's the most expensive Christmas ever, but yes. what are you going to do? Well, exactly. For everybody, and perhaps for the all-knowing, all-powerful federal government, if they go ahead and pass this omnibus bill. But let's look at this thing, EJ. 4,100 pages, $1.7 trillion. It's so important. It matters so much, just as we heard Chuck Schumer say there, that they're going to drop it just before Christmas. Right. And, and, you know, the obvious reason for that is because if they did it any other time of the year when the news cycle wasn't already busy, when people already weren't you know, away from home, away from their TV set, away from their computers, if there was any other time of year when this thing could actually be scrutinized, there is no way it would ever get passed because of all the garbage that's in it. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about some of the garbage that is in this. I mean, the price tag is $1.7 trillion. Of course, there's a large chunk of that. That's national defense spending, which is important. There are other components. 
there's a lot of it that's pork barrel and special interest. I am curious, though, before we get to that pork barrel piece, what are what are the good things that we do need to have? Maybe this isn't the way to do it. We should wait until the new year. But what are some things that are necessary spending? What are we noticing for national defense or other things? Well, you know, unfortunately, Jimmy, even the, the categories that we would say are necessary, things like defense spending, once you start getting into the weeds, you find out the devil's really in the details. Right. Because even money that we're allocating for defense spending, we're not buying bullets. We're not doing things that are going to make our military as lethal as possible. We're not doing things that are going to help us kill people and break stuff, which is what war is about, right? No, no, no. We're spending money to ensure a green transition of the military. I mean, it is just absolute nonsense. This is nothing but, but just left-wing propaganda and a left-wing wish list before Christmas. So in other words, even the good stuff isn't so good. Jimmy, that's exactly right. I could not have said it better myself. It is, again, it is nothing more than, than the Green New Deal but just a smaller version of it. So when we look at the pork barrel side, I mean, and and pork barrel, of course, is every senator, in this case we're particularly talking about the U.S. Senate, every senator has their little wish list, their goodies, that they want to get into a bill so that they can come home and say, hey, I got this project or that. Sometimes it's absolutely insane. Uh, could be large amounts of money. That's how they wheel and deal, and especially in a massive bill like this. What are you noticing what are you guys seeing at the heritage foundation as far as the special interest dollars oh my goodness it is it is tough at this point to find a member of congress who does not have some kind of special carve out something that is going to benefit either a donor of theirs uh, or or somebody in their district it is it is truly obscene and then when you really start getting into the details you find just bizarre things that that again are are essentially items off of a left-wing wish list i'll I'll give you just one very bizarre and frankly quite sick example where we are going to allocate billions of dollars for population control in areas that the government deems to be environmentally sensitive so let's break through the orwellian newspeak and and just be explicit about what that means we're going to use federal tax dollars to pay for abortions and contraception in the inner cities. That's literally all that means, because we're not aborting enough minorities right now. We want to abort even more of them. If you go to a place like New York City, if you're a black baby in the womb, you're already more likely to be aborted than born. Mm -hmm. And apparently liberals want to increase that ratio even further. The Wall Street Journal has an editorial in which they say, summarizing some pieces, Congress is jamming through major changes in public land management, a plan to phase out large-scale drift net fishing, new oversight on horse racing, a restructure of the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, changes to help Boeing meet aircraft certification deadlines, and alterations to lobster regulation. That's before lawmakers shoehorn in sweeping health care changes on everything from Medicaid eligibility to the children's health insurance program to Medicare provider payments. And that's not to include, EJ, the things that you were just alluding to there. I mean, it is stunning to me. It's not surprising. We've seen this before. This is just even bigger than historically is the case. 
that we have so much being crammed in at the very end of the year that can have some significant impacts on the lives of the American people. Not just can have, but will have. I mean, yes. you know, look at what's happened. Look at what's happened in, in the wake of Obamacare. Something that was that we were promised was going to bring down the the cost of health care. That was going to lower insurance premiums. It's done exactly the opposite. The cost of health care has skyrocketed. Insurance premiums have gone nowhere but up since we passed that piece of legislation. And that was another piece of legislation that was so massive and so unwieldy, and we were once again told that, oh, well, you know, we'll just have to pass it to find out what's in it, right? That, that infamous phrase from, from Nancy Pelosi. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just positively, absolutely disgusting that we are here yet again, and that Republicans, once again, don't have the spine to say no to this garbage. E.J. Antoni, our guest from the Heritage Foundation, to that point, Rand Paul was on, I think it was uh, Fox Business, uh, might have been Fox News, but he had some strong words for his fellow Republicans who seem to be letting this thing get into law without much pushback. 41 votes would stop the big spending. If 41 of us said no and held our ground until there was a compromise, we could force Democrats to reduce spending. We have completely and totally abdicated the power of the purse. Republicans are emasculated. They have no power, and they are unwilling to gain that power back. The only way they can get it, divide the spending into 12 bills, and then decide to hold one of them hostage or two of them hostage, and then apply policy changes in the House. But they've got to do it. They've got to capture this, and we'd have to do the budget the way it's supposed to be. Budget. 12 appropriation bills, and then try to attach some policy like removing the 87,000 IRS agents from the IRS budget. When we try to do it in one bill, the Republicans don't have the intestinal fortitude. They always collapse, and they fear shutting government down so no policy objectives ever get added. The only way we can do it is if we actually do what we're supposed to do, budget, 12 appropriation bills, and then decide which ones you want to fight over. Of course, that's sort of a pie-in-the-sky idea. Congress just doesn't operate that way, even though they should. But what do you make, E.J., of his point that the Republicans have essentially uh, participated in abdicating the power of the purse here? I, I think this is just the latest example of how establishment Republicans are much more establishment than they are Republican. You know, these people are not conservatives. They are little more than liberals going the speed limit. And once again, you know, I hate to say it, but at the end of the day, we really shouldn't be surprised, I guess, that so many of these, these neocons, so many of these rhinos are going along with this garbage because they are people. You know, we oftentimes forget that politicians are just people like you and me, and they operate on incentives, just like you and I do. And so their incentive is to get reelected and they will do whatever it takes to get there, even when it means stabbing many of their own constituents in the back. Well, I will say that to me, this is a basic tenet of the Republican Party when it comes to fiscal responsibility. And that is one of the biggest things that you need to expect from any Republican that gets into office. Now, that doesn't mean that they're very good at it. I mean, I remember complaining about George W. Bush. I mean, it was nothing compared to the spending that we have seen in the last several years since Bush. But 
when we look at his administration, even back then, he was rightly getting a lot of criticism for big spending. Now, of course, it's it's small pickings compared to that. But nevertheless, um, it, it's it's stunning to to see that Republicans are just not trying hard at all right now. And there is a big divide, a big dearth between the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House. But here's the fundamental question, E.J. and Tony. Do Republicans allow this to get through where it becomes law? It looks like that is what is going to happen so that they can wipe this clean, come the new Congress and not have to worry about it. It it, it does very much look like, sadly, Republicans are going to cave to the demands of Democrats and that we're going to get this massive, massive spending bill and a massive amount of debt and a massive deficit as well. Let's talk about something that could be of dramatic effect. In fact, it would be a dramatic effect on the economy if $1.7 trillion is suddenly rammed through. When you talk about a large deficit spending bill like this, I mean, E.J. Antonia, the Heritage Foundation, we're already going through a significant inflationary spiral. Will that get worse? What are the economic effects that we could see from this $1.7 trillion bill? Well, actually, I ended up doing my dissertation for my doctorate on exactly this topic. And I looked at how does government deficit spending cause inflation and then interest rates to go up in the future. And that's exactly what has happened the last couple of years, right? We had massive government spending bills. We had massive deficits and a huge increase in the debt during COVID and in the aftermath. And what has the effect of that been? It's been runaway inflation. We've gotten inflation that we haven't seen in a generation. We haven't had inflation this bad. We haven't seen prices go up this fast in 40 years. And now interest rates are going up to combat that. Well, this is literally just more of the same. Why should we expect anything different? We have seen this time after time throughout history, and this is going to be just simply a repeat of that. And it's amazing how these people apparently haven't gone through enough pain, or at least they're not feeling the pain, just their constituents are, that they're ready to do it all over again. So I see, unfortunately, very little positive uh, 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 indicators in terms of the economy for, for the near future. AJ, I'm being told that a listener called in, I think, a, a good question here, especially given what we were just saying as far as the likelihood of this passing in Congress with Republicans being complicit. That is, how can we get Republicans more focused? And I, I presume that the caller was suggesting on fiscal issues like this to be more fiscally responsible, but also on how to expand a GDP number. So I'm going to change that a little bit to how to grow the economy. So how do you focus on getting back to fiscal responsibility, get the GOP focused on fiscal responsibility and on improving economic growth to the greatest extent possible, I would add, given that we are on the verge of Democrats expanding their control of the U.S. Senate, but Republicans will be in the House. Control. It's, it's a great question, um, and I think at the end of the day, we have to go back to that fact that these politicians are just people like you and me, and they operate on incentives like you and me. Right. And if we ensure that their bad behavior results in bad results, a.k.a. they get uh, uh, booted out of office, then they will stop their bad behavior. And I think people have been far, far too tolerant of Republicans who pay lip service 
to the ideals of their base, but then get into office and do precisely the opposite of that. There are a lot of people that wear uh, that name badge of conservatism, and, or at least we assume they're conservative because they have an R after their name. And, and in fact, they're not conservative at all. And, and really, just I, I do want to emphasize that this, at the end of the day, is all about policy and not politics. Many of the just terrible ideas and policies of the current administration were actually begun in the last administration, a Republican. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons, reasons why history will judge the Biden administration so harshly. They had the benefit of hindsight to see which policies of the Trump administration worked and which ones didn't. And, and mysteriously, they have doubled down on all of the bad policies and ignored all of the successes. Yeah, even looking at raising taxes more and more. I mean, that's something and doing it. That is, uh, of course, a plank of the Democrat Party platform. But it's something that is the antithesis of, say, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. That was one of those really good economic things that the Trump administration did. Uh, E.J. Antoni, when we look at... The political environment here, of course, we want Republicans to stand firm, especially in the House, and use their leverage as best they can. But practically speaking, I mean, you know how D.C. operates. What can Republicans do in the House? If you were to advise them on their economic policy agenda for the next two years, what would you say they should do? Uh, I, I would say, number one, you have to you absolutely have to draw your line in the sand and stick to it. No new tax increases. In fact, push for tax cuts, push for spending cuts, regulatory cuts, and basically just hold the entire government hostage. Yes, I said it, and I'll stand by that. Hold the government hostage. Create government shutdowns if you have to. I don't care. People need to realize how unsustainable the path we are on actually is. I mean, do you want the fiscal collapse of the republic? Because that's where we are headed. This is where Republicans need to stop the omnibus bill right now in its tracks. And then in the beginning of the year, sort things out. If you want to do a very quick, let's just put a Band-Aid to get through the next few weeks, fine. But don't keep kicking the can down the road. Do that enough to get Republicans in charge of the House where then they have more leverage in terms of getting something sensible through, and then you can go in and even say, okay, we're not going to do this even if it means a government shutdown because we have to look at the long-term fiscal and economic health of the American people, right? That's absolutely mm -hmm. right. What Congress should do right now is, is basically just pass a continuing resolution to get us through until the next exactly. Congress takes over. Right. But they don't want to do that. It's so ironic that the exact same party that constantly talks about oh, muh, democracy and threats to democracy, blah, blah, blah. They're the same people who right now are trying to subvert democracy because they don't want the people's duly elected representatives next year to be able to actually author spending bills. They want to do it themselves. They want to essentially rob the people's duly elected representatives of the ability to legislate. Mm. That is a travesty. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there's always the question in Republican minds, okay, what is the political fallout from saying, oh, this government shutdown is the fault of the Republicans? But here's the thing, and that's sort of an instance, 
This is where, A, it's a fundamental plank of the Republican Party, and B, E.J. Antonio and the Heritage Foundation, you set the narrative right in the beginning. This is what we're doing. This is why we are doing it. And really push back. You know how the media is going to operate in response to whatever the Republicans do, but that's when you have the gift of foresight and you can come in to the the discussion and the debate, knowing exactly how they're going to try to frame it and do your level best to push back and to set the narrative yourself. That's exactly right. And I think people really overestimate, quite frankly, the impact of a government shutdown. And I think we underestimate how easy it would be to continue going about our daily lives under a government shutdown. And you know, when, when we actually have those government shutdowns, if you look back, you realize, oh, wait, people's lives didn't actually change that much, if at all. It's not that big a deal. Hmm. E.J. Antoni, Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. Thanks so much for joining us this morning and sharing some thoughts on this whole monstrosity they call the Omnibus Bill. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. Once again, E.J. Antoni of the Heritage Foundation joining us. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. When we come back, where does Kevin McCarthy, the would-be speaker, stand on this? Supposedly he supports it, kind of quietly behind the scenes and hopes that it gets passed. And then he doesn't have to deal with it in the new year. But his response to that rumor, well, we've got the audio from that coming up. What do you make of this? What should Republicans do? Should they follow the pathway that EJ and I were talking about in terms of passing a continuing resolution just to get Republicans in control of the U.S. House and then use that leverage for something else, even if it means something very different from this $1.7 trillion bill, even if it means a potential government shutdown? Now, do I want a shutdown? No. But it is entirely plausible that a brief shutdown may be necessary in terms of getting this House in order. And the Republicans then need to be smart in how they actually go about approaching that if they decide to do so. What are your thoughts? 303-696-1971. We're talking about a 4,100-page bill that Chuck Schumer wants to pass today. 303-696-1971. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger, filling in for George Brockler on Denver's local talk leader, News Talk 710 KNUS. Thank you, Billy, for plugging in this Christmas tune for me. This is Joe Bonamassa doing Elvis Presley's Santa Claus is back in town. Joe always has Christmas tunes. Bonamas is excellent. Bill, you finally got to see him at some point at Red Rocks. Like, you got to make that happen. Good to be with you. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. Merry Christmas, one and all. Good to be with you today. News Talk 710-KNUS. So here's the question. Does Kevin McCarthy, the likely speaker of the House to be when Republicans take control, does McCarthy want the $1.7 trillion, 4,100-page omnibus spending bill to be passed? Is he secretly hoping that 
the Senate will pass it so that it becomes law and he gets that off of his plate. Yesterday, I think it was yesterday, Larry Kudlow put that question to McCarthy. Joining me now is the aforementioned Kevin McCarthy with a good smile on his face. Kevin McCarthy, it is my pleasure to endorse you. I don't know why everyone hasn't already done it yet. I we'll get to that question in a moment. Given, and I'm sure I've forgotten lots of them. But let me just make sure, let me just clarify one thing. You've got these um, anonymous Republican Senate voices People uh, who are afraid to speak on the record. They're saying that Kevin McCarthy really favors the omnibus spending bill and really doesn't want to get down to business right away. What is your unequivocal response to that? That's a lie. Hell no. Why would you move forward? And you know this better than anybody, Larry. They're going to raise another $100 billion on your baseline. They're going to take away our opportunity to secure the border, to become energy independent. Because when these appropriate bills get passed, remember what's happening here. Leahy and Shelby are writing it. Two senators who won't be there in 15 days. Mm -hmm. We now have a stronger hand we can play with the Senate and with the administration because we will have the gavel. Do a short-term CR. Put it into the end of January, into February. We're willing to go forward. That's a lie. Hell no, McCarthy says to the rumor from anonymous Republican senators who, according to Kudlow, won't go on the record, who say, actually, McCarthy wants this to become law. Now, when he says appropriate bills, he means appropriations bills. That is to say, the big spending bills. Now, why might McCarthy kind of sort of want potentially this bill to get passed? Now, I'll take him at his word. He doesn't want it to get passed, but I think there's a part of him that is like, you know, it wouldn't be such a bad thing. And it is because of this, and it's something that Kudlow was alluding to in saying he endorses McCarthy for Speaker, something that's dogging him right now, and that is the Speaker's race. You have just a handful, I think like five members of Congress, including Colorado's own Lauren Boebert, who are not on board with Kevin McCarthy for Speaker. And here's the thing. You can't get committee assignments together. You can't get a variety of things in order, your house in order, until you have that speakership solidified. And the longer it takes to solidify the speakership, the more difficult it will be for Republicans, which are notorious for not sort of getting lined up and aligned very quickly. I mean independent thinkers, different interests that are at play, different willingnesses to go after real conservative issues and to hold the line. And if you can't get that duck in a row of a speakership, then what does that mean? Moving ahead. That's the big challenge. And that's what's got to be on Kevin McCarthy's mind here. Jake Tapper over on CNN had a pejorative for Republicans. Of course, it's CNN for certain Republicans in the House. But I think he sort of encapsulated the concern here that McCarthy may have a little bit beyond just the speakership discussion, but over whether or not if Republicans take control of Congress and this of the House and this omnibus spending bill hasn't been passed, what will Republicans actually be able to do given a very slim majority? 
How likely is it that the GOP will actually get their house in order to take on this issue in a collaborative way? Well, take a listen to this clip of CNN. The House Republican leader, Kevin McCarthy, desperately trying to get the number of votes he needs to become the Speaker of the House in the next Congress. He's actually threatening Republican senators, senators saying if they vote for this $1.7 trillion on the spending package, that any future legislation they offer will be dead on arrival when it comes to the House. Take a listen to one Republican senator reacting to that. Well, I don't know if I buy the threat, but I find it. Kevin's in a tough spot. Statements like that and statements coming from House Republicans is the very reason that some de- some Senate Republicans feel they probably should spare them from the burden of having to govern. That's, I mean, this, that. this is the exact irony. The reason that Senate Republicans are coming into this deal with the devil, in their view, is because they look at Kevin McCarthy and his gang of flying monkeys. He's like, they're not going to be able to legislate. Yeah. They- Spare them from the burden of having to govern. That's a Republican senator talking about that in the context of the U.S. House of Representatives and the Republicans in the House, the burden of having to govern. How dysfunctional is the U.S. House? Are they going to be able to get things in line if you can't even line up McCarthy for speaker? Now, keep in mind that there were several Democrats who were sort of holdouts for Pelosi in 2021. The last go around when Pelosi was still speaker and Pelosi was trying to become speaker for another term would end up her being her last term as Speaker of the House. And there were some holdouts, but then they gave it. There was a big push that was, oh, I forget what they were calling it, um, something the vote. And it's escaping me, but they were basically, leftists were trying to get the squad and the progressive caucus to hold out their votes until or unless they had something for it in exchange for voting for Pelosi. Now, ultimately, those leftists were unhappy because the votes weren't there. And in terms of uh, getting concessions and Pelosi became speaker, it seems like there are a few people in Congress in the House, including Lauren Boebert, who were thinking, let's try and get some sort of concession out of McCarthy. The question is, will they hold the line? Look, frankly, I think they need to see what they can do as far as whatever specific concessions they want. But at the end of the day, you need to get McCarthy in there and seal the deal. Because the last thing Republicans need at a point where you've got a very, very slim majority and you need people on committees like the Select Committee on China. I was listening to Hugh Hewitt coming on in. And he was interviewing Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin. And Gallagher expressed concern that you can't get going with the important work of the Select Committee on China until and unless you have the speaker solidified and those assignments made. And that's a crucial thing, given given what China's doing right now and the national security concerns we have for ourselves and for Taiwan. So... I think they need to get to that point where McCarthy becomes speaker. Is he perfect? Absolutely not. But he ain't bad. And he understands how to play the game in Washington, how to be effective. 
And I think you need to get that step done so we can stop what the Democrats are trying to do as much as the House can that's bad, that's harmful for the country. And bogging down in a leadership debate is only going to do two things. One, that the Democrats get things through more easily, delay the process of getting assignments for committees through, etc. That's number one. And number two, it's going to make the Republicans look like this band of flying monkeys that Jake Tapper is talking about. But what do you think? Should they seal the deal with McCarthy? 303-696-1971. And when it comes to this $1.7 trillion, 4,100-page monstrosity, what will happen? Will it get through? And is McCarthy secretly wanting it to pass so that he doesn't have to deal with this as an issue next year and in fact he can instead use it as a means of sort of beating up on the united states senate and beating up on the democrats what are your thoughts 303-696-1971 you can text into the show on the 710 knus app on your smartphone we'll also get back to twitter elon musk and what's happening in social media with pr guru adam weiss at the top of the hour i'm jimmy sangenberger filling in for george brockler keeping it rolling here on denver's local talk leader news talk 710 knus Closing time for hour number two. Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler today here on News Talk 710 at KNUS. Of course, I host the Jimmy Sangenberger Show every Saturday morning from 6 until 9 here on, once again, News Talk 710 KNUS, Denver's local talk leader. And this coming Saturday is going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to catch up with my friend, Rabbi Jonathan Hausman, to talk a bit about what Hanukkah is really about because it overlaps with Christmas this year. Hanukkah started on Sunday and it ends, I think, Monday of next week. And happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish brothers and sisters listening to the show this morning. Uh, Rabbi Hausman is always a blast. He and I have a similar musical interest, too, as far as blues. And I love talking with him, especially because he's got uh, an on-point perspective on Hanukkah and how, no, it is not the Jewish Christmas. We'll talk with Rabbi Hausman about that. Plus, I'm excited about this. Somebody I've been listening to his music since I was in high school, a Christian blues guy named Jimmy Bratcher, Reverend Jimmy Bratcher. He is a pastor and a blues guitarist. He's going to be joining me on Saturday morning, and I'm looking forward to talking Christmas, talking some blues. That'll be a lot of fun. And also on this Saturday's Jimmy Sangenberger show, my annual visit and check in with Santa Claus. I hear that the elves are about to go on strike. Maybe we'll have news that he's averted the strike on Saturday. We'll find out when that happens. Could be a lot of fun, 6 to 9 on Saturday morning. Tune in for the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. We've got this 4,100-page, $1.7 trillion spending bill. Chuck Schumer pressed on dropping it at the 11th hour in the end of the year. How is it in a, a functional process to drop a 4,100-page bill 
this morning, expect to vote on it tomorrow. Most of Congress hasn't had a chance to review. Look, the bill has been carefully worked on by the Appropriations Committee for a very, very long time. Uh, most of the provisions of the bill were well known weeks and weeks and weeks in advance. And uh, getting this bill done for the American people, which really matters, is the most important thing. If a bill really matters, shouldn't you give it more time to debate and to discuss and even know what's going on? It does seem like the writing's on the wall. Republicans in the U.S. Senate want to move past this. They don't trust the House of Representatives, the Republicans there, to handle this. That's what it seems like. Or maybe they just want it done. I don't know. Either way, it does seem like the writing is on the wall, and this monstrous omnibus spending bill is going to get through. It absolutely should not full stop. Continuing resolution, just as we talked with E.J. and Tony about, do that and then let the ball be in the Republicans' court to negotiate something else come the beginning of the year. 303-696-1971, our telephone number. Let's round out the hour with Joe in Arvada. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Jimmy. Um, a lot of sayings come to mind. Uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Fate accompli and Kabuki theater. Mm. We're, we're, we're just seeing the result of a long, long, long tradition. I think it really started uh, when the bailout package began. I mean, it's, it was in, in, in full swing before that, but, but the bailout package really moved it to a new, to a new level. Which Back, bailout you know, package? The George Bush. Um, oh yeah. Oh wait. You know the 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 the, the pigs at the trough mm-hmm. is what we called it when we went downtown to John with John Caldera to protest the massive. I think it was seventy or seven hundred billion, wasn't it? Something like that. Yes. Se- I don't. Man, the numbers are just so astounding. It's seven or eight hundred billion. Yeah. And then there was the uh, stimulus package that I think was nine hundred billion, and that one was seen as astronomical. And I remember Sarah Palin's. Remember, you can't put lipstick on a pig. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the, the 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 here's the thing everybody has to understand this uh you you get the the government you deserve you voted for these democrats and when i say you uh, yes i'm pointing at the democrat party the people that and the middle that voted for these idiots they they they've already decided you see in their in their little phone calls they've already everyone's decided to go ahead and pass it this is nothing more than a little show for us mm-hmm. the plebes we're the peasants the serfs oh, the, the the oligarchy has decided already to spend the money they all have their hand in the cookie jar yes. in the money trough these people are doing it for power See, they've already have a winning formula. The Democrat Party already knows. They pass these monster bills. They get ready for the just avalanche of cash that they're going to receive from all of the different sources, the uh, the, uh, the lobbyists. The yeah, you know, they're going to fill up their coffers with our money. The, the, the Ukraine is nothing more than a big way to shove money 
I know you don't agree with so that. On but the I'm U- just other than you. I got to run your break because we're up against it now. But other than the Ukraine point, Joe, I completely agree with you, and including the Kabuki theater that the Democrats are playing. That's a rarity where we pretty much agree, Joe. But good to have you. 303-696-1971. Adam Weiss joins us, PR guru on the other side. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger in for George Brockler. Stay with us. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.